When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We're going to start today with our law and justice lead, believe it or not. The federal indictment of Donald Trump. It's historic. It's shocking. I'm Jake Tapper in Washington, D.C. The allegations outlined in the 37-count indictment include that Mr. Trump kept documents so sensitive they required special handling that he did not give them. He stored documents about U.S. defense, even U.S. nuclear programs improperly, illegally, at Mar-a-Lago, in public spaces such as a ballroom, even a bathroom shower. Pretty shocking stuff, Anderson. It certainly is. I'm Anderson Cooper in New York. Just under an hour ago, Special Counsel Jack Smith gave a brief statement on the indictment explaining that no one is above the law, even a former president. Our nation's commitment to the rule of law sets an example for the world. We have one set of laws in this country, and they apply to everyone. And Jake, the special counsel also making the point today that violations of U.S. laws on classified documents put the country at risk. That's right, Anderson. I want to bring in CNN's Paula Reed. Paula, walk us through the most damning allegations in the indictment, in your view. Well, this indictment tells a story of what investigators have learned over the past about year and a half. They lay out how the former president allegedly willfully retained over 300 classified documents, allegedly storing them around his Mar-a-Lago resort everywhere from a bathroom to a bedroom to a ballroom for over two months. That ballroom was actively hosting events during this time. They also reveal how sensitive secrets meant only for a handful of our closest allies were splayed out in a storage room. There's even photographic evidence of that allegation. They also lay out how the former president allegedly shared classified information on two occasions with people after he left office who didn't have clearances. One of those occasions we broke the news of last week, a meeting at his Bedminster Golf Club in the summer of 2021, where he suggested to a group of his aides and some folks working on a book uh, that he had a classified document. It was highly sensitive information, and he acknowledges in a recording that he does not have the power to declassify it. They also allege that he shared a classified map with a representative of a political action committee. Now, they expand their allegations to say that he tried to pressure one of his lawyers to not be fully honest with the FBI. And that is extraordinary because we know one of those lawyers, Evan Corcoran, he's a witness in this case. Special counsel Jack Smith was able to successfully get around attorney-client privilege by convincing a federal judge that his advice may have been used in commission of a crime. So these are his own attorney's words coming back to be used against him in this criminal indictment. It also lays out several potentially incriminating exchanges with his aide, Walt Nada, who is also charged here, where they appear to be trying to move boxes around to invade, to evade the government that is specifically requesting its records back. Jake, it's extraordinary. You know, we've been covering this so closely. We've broken so much news. But it's clear that even our reporting only showed us a sliver of the evidence that the special counsel could be presenting to a jury. All right, Paula Reed, uh, thanks as always, and great reporting as always. Let's bring in CNN's Caitlin Collins. Caitlin, the indictment has so many primary source materials, text messages, photographs, testimony, contemporaneous uh, notes 
by his own attorneys. How's that going over in Trump world, do you think? I mean, it remains to be seen, Jake, but I don't think it's going to go over well because what you look at when you read through this indictment is you see that it is just the wealth of people who were around him that went and testified. And that is what this is based on. You know, you're going to see, obviously, a lot of Republican attacks against this. But I think it's important to remember these are the people who worked with Trump in the White House and these are the people that he employs at Mar-a-Lago. And these are his attorneys that he has hired. And that is what so much of this is based on. In addition to that, of course, his own words that are on that audio recording that they reference here, saying that he showed people uh, this information, telling them that he did not have the ability to declassify it. And one thing that, that stood out, Jake, about Evan Corcoran, that's the who is identified as attorney one in this indictment, it was his notes that they were able to get after a big court fight that the special counsel undertook. And that is what is also a lot of this is based on when it comes to Trump suggesting that they destroy or hide documents that were relevant to a subpoena from the federal government. Also implying that when his attorney went to his hotel room, that he simply plucked ones that he thought were bad out of the the group that he had gathered. And so that is a striking part of this is what this is based on is it's testimony from the people who were the valets at Mar-a-Lago, some of his closest advisors and his top attorneys. Yeah. And right before we got this indictment, uh, as you kind of predicted uh, last night in your coverage, there was a another shakeup of Trump's uh, legal team. I just had Jim Parlatori on. Uh, he, he didn't know why that was. Um, but if you read the indictment, it does seem like Mr. Trump uh, uh, pushes attorneys to go in directions that might not be on the right side of the law. Did, did that have anything to do with this, Jacob? Yeah, and that's obviously something we knew from his time at the White House. That has kind of always been his style with attorneys. That's why he has famously had such a difficult time finding and keeping the same attorneys. I'm told that the shakeup that happened today, which is really notable, is less because of what's in the indictment and more because of what is happening within the legal team. And Jim Trusty, one of the attorneys who has now resigned that was on our air last night, could not say which attorneys were going to be with Trump at the courthouse in Miami on Tuesday, signaling that there was uh, some tension behind the scenes. And I think it had more to do with the fact that they are considering bringing on another Florida-based attorney to deal with this, to deal with this now, the fact that it's in Miami and not Washington, when John Rowley and Jim Trusty are two of the top attorneys who have been litigating this for months. They probably know this case, Jake, better than anyone else, but now they are no longer on this team, and whoever it is that they are adding to this team has not started. Todd Blanche, the other attorney who is now taking the helm, has only been a lawyer for the former president for about two months. He was hired in early April. And so that does speak to also the legal challenges that they're facing in taking this case to trial. And also, uh, I want you to tell us about Walt Nada. He's also uh, charged in the indictment. He's a longtime Trump aide. He is now facing multiple criminal charges himself. And he is someone who is actually with the former president right now. We were told as of yesterday that Walt Nauta was with Trump in Bedminster at his golf club there, a golf club that, of course, is at the center of this indictment where they took documents, boxes from Mar-a-Lago to there. He is someone who was a valet for Trump in the White House. He was essentially a body man. He was very close there uh, doing personal errands for Trump. He's someone who followed Trump to Mar-a-Lago and worked for him in his post-presidency office, as a few others did. And he is the person who is at the center of this that was moving boxes, including, as it lays out in great detail, including talking about a 24-second phone call that Trump had with Walt Nada the day that Evan Corcoran, one of his attorneys, came to go through the documents in the storage room to then hand them over 
uh, in that, it says that Trump called Walt Nutta earlier. Walt went to the storage room. He moved boxes around. And then Evan Corcoran came in and was looking for these documents. And of course, as we know now, Jake, and part of the reason that Walt has been indicted here is because he spoke to investigators and denied moving any boxes around. And then, of course, he came back and they had surveillance footage that showed very clearly he had moved these boxes around at the direction of his boss. Yeah. Lying to the FBI, generally not a wise thing to do. Caitlin Collins, uh, thanks so much. Uh, We've been making this point now for a few weeks. um, But one of the reasons Donald Trump was president was because of Hillary Clinton's issues, much, much smaller than these ones, having to do with classified documents as a candidate in 2016. Mr. Trump repeatedly hammered Hillary for her treatment of classified documents with her email server and insisted that he cared deeply about the sanctity of classified documents and information. He reiterated over and over, no one is above the law. In my administration, I'm going to enforce all laws concerning the protection of classified information. No one will be above the law. One of the first things we must do is to enforce all classification rules and to enforce all laws relating to the handling of classified information. We also need the best protection of classified information. Perhaps not surprisingly, all three of those statements by Mr. Trump are cited in the criminal indictment against Donald Trump, in which, of course, he faces 37 charges related to the mishandling of the classified documents he swore he would protect. Uh, let's discuss. And Jamie, let me start with you because um, one of the things I was talking about with Parlatori is that there are 31 uh, classified documents at, out of hundreds or thousands. And uh, Parlatori was making the argument that, you know, those are the only 31 that were that serious. Um, but you say, according to experts, that's not the case. Right. And, and Andy can add to this. Before uh, I spoke to a senior Justice Department official who explained to me that before this indictment comes out, when you are dealing with highly sensitive classified material, DOJ, the special counsel, goes to the CIA, DOD, all of these. What can we have in the court case? What is too sensitive? So it is likely that there are many other documents uh, beyond this 31, but everyone had to come to an agreement that, okay, we can live with these 31. But, but Andy McCabe... The 31 documents aren't shown to the grand jury, right? They're not reading the nuclear secrets to see, oh, this is really sensitive. Some version of that will actually take place for each of the documents that's cited in counts 1 through 31. Or Redacted 32. or no? So they'll use the Classified Information Protection Act, or SEPA, to come up with a series of redactions or substitutions um, that, that are agreeable to both sides and can then be presented uh, to the jury. Now, it's important to know that a big piece of that, of that process is the one that takes place before the case is charged, and that is getting the intelligence community to agree to the potential exposure of these documents in the course of litigation. Many Espionage Act cases never go to court because you can't get that agreement. People aren't willing to essentially sacrifice the secret uh, or sensitive nature of the documents. And so, so in other words, the reason that these documents are cited is because they're 
it could have been a lot worse. It probably was a lot worse. There are probably many documents in the 300 or so that they collected from Mar-a-Lago and however many additional that were voluntarily given back to NARA. There are probably many documents in that in that collection that couldn't be agreed to be exposed in litigation, like things that were so sensitive that nobody wanted to bring them into court and mm. put them through a SEPA process. And by the way, the like, like what? I mean, obviously you wouldn't give us a detail, but like obviously what? Like like um just just vaguely like where we think Iran has its nuclear weapons program? Like. A lot of sensitivity is down, comes down to timing. And some of these documents, if they are older now, it may be that the sensitivity of the source or the collection method or the location, or maybe current events around the world have developed in a way that, these, that the content of some of these documents has been exposed publicly. So they're no longer as sensitive now as they were when they were originally classified and considered, you know, um, uh, you know, super sensitive, important stuff. So there are different ways to kind of square that circle. It's not easy. It takes an agreement across the intel community. But these documents, these 31, have already gone through that process. But these are 31, not necessarily the 31 worst. Just the 31 that they could get the intelligence community to sign off on allowing in court. Now, on the other hand, the prosecutors want some juicy stuff to use, right? Right. This is going to, it's going to provoke a, a, a protective and emotional reaction from the jury. That's what they're looking for. So I'm confident that each one of these has been evaluated so very closely to, de- to satisfy everyone's concern that they do constitute national defense inst- uh, information. That's what's necessary for the 793 charge, which is the charge in those first 30. So just counts. last question on, on this. Uh, does this not put the grand jury or the jury, the jury. at risk? I, yeah, not a grand jury, a jury. Well, did the grand jury see these documents too or no? The grand jury, light, I, I would expect, saw some of them. I, I'm sure they didn't see does all it, three. Does jurors. this not subject the grand, members of the grand jury and the jury who are just common citizens, right, who yeah. couldn't get out of jury duty, uh, <laughs> does this not put them in a precarious situation where people might want to know what they know, what they learned, even if it's a sanitized version? The, the jurors will never have security clearances, right? right? You can't go through that process. But they're going to read trial. some of these documents. But they will read some version of the documents. Maybe it's a summary. Maybe it's a redacted version right. of the document to try to kind of limit the worst damage that could be, uh, you know, could come from having folks without clearances seeing these things. But yes, to serve on a, on a jury in a national security case, huge responsibility. Um, and it's something that jurors take very seriously, and it does put them in somewhat of an awkward position. Well, keep in mind two things. Remember, a grand jury is only deciding probable cause. It will be the, a trial jury that will have the overwhelming burden. The other point is you don't get to voir dire your jury. You get the luck of the draw, whoever is assigned to the grand jury process. So the idea of suggesting that somehow it was tailor-made to have one particular result can be fatally undermined in an instance like this. But also, I mean— Remember, it was Trump himself who elevated, based on all the statements you outlined about Hillary Clinton, who elevated a crime like this from a misdemeanor to a felony based on the specific gravitas assigned to it. And finally, when you think about all of this, focus on the legal claims that the defense attorneys will be making. They have not said, oh, this was an inadvertent and one document got away or 20 documents got away or 31 documents got away. They have doubled down to suggest not that he declassified. They've never made that argument really in an open court filing. But instead, that he was entitled to retain these documents. We don't know the answer to three major questions. Why did you take these documents? Why did you want to keep these documents? And why have you tried to obstruct the retention and reclamation of these documents? That are, those are the questions that will linger for any jury pool out there and have yet to be answered. It does feel to me, though, that we have some clues about 
part of the why, right? Both the audio tape from Bedminster and the second example of Trump dr- taking out this document for, for people in a super PAC, uh, it seems, especially in the audio tape instance, he was trying to use it against Mark, Mark Milley, Milley. In the first example. I mean, he trying to use classified documents against people, at, weaponizing it in that way, um, that's a little bit of a why. That is a little bit of the intent here of what he, why he wanted to hold on to some of this stuff. It's, it's not totally unusual, I think, if you, you know, know Trump, to, for him to want to hold on to things, to be able to whip them out and to say, see, this is the, I know that this happened, and I can't really show you, but I know that this happened. But I do think that they are leaving some crumbs here about the why, yeah. and that's very important. The why almost, well, uh, yeah, okay. Thanks to all. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy uh, just weighed in on this 37-count indictment against Donald Trump. Uh, we'll bring you his comments next uh, as the reactions start to really pour in. Stay with us. that this judgment is wrong by this DOJ, that they treated President Trump differently than they treat others, and it didn't have to be this way. This is going to disrupt this nation because it goes to the core of equal justice for all, which is not being seen today, and we are not going to stand for it. That's House Speaker Kevin McCarthy reacting to the 37-count indictment against former President Donald Trump. Uh, Back with the team here in New York. Um, Ellie, what do you make of that? And also Jack Smith talking about uh, a speedy trial. He, and his wor- Jack Smith's words were, my office will seek a speedy trial in this matter consistent with the public interest and the rights of the accused. Yeah, so starting with the speedy trial issue, every prosecutor is trained. Whenever you're asked, are you ready for trial, you say, the government stands ready. Even if a judge said to me, you need to go to, on trial tomorrow, I would just say, we're ready. And I think that's what we saw from Jack Smith. The way the rule works, it says a defendant, not the prosecutors, a defendant has the right to be tried within 70 days, seven zero days of an indictment. Now, Almost no defendant in the history of the federal system has ever gone to trial in 70 days. Ultimately, the timing of this trial is going to rest with the judge, and judges are more going to defer to the defendant. They're going to give the defendant sufficient time to prepare. But I think Jack Smith was making a statement by saying, we're ready to go. Were you surprised by Kevin McCarthy's newest statement? Because yesterday he had basically (laughs) pointed the finger at President Biden, saying Biden was behind this. Uh, Nothing that Kevin McCarthy does surprises me now. I mean, he's he's made his decision that the tribe matters, and that's the only thing that matters. I mean, if you think about January 6th, you know, he came out after January 6th, said it was bad, Trump owns it, magically went down to Mar-a-Lago and became one of his biggest defenders. So you have January 6th, now you have these classified documents, and then, of course, the many years of, of impropriety of Donald Trump, and they are still defending him, they being most of my former colleagues, are still defending him. It makes me wonder, you know, is there anything that the former president can do where they finally break away? Because I can't think of much worse than this. And I'll tell you, though, in the mind of the average kind of Republican congressman right now, they are going to be fairly quiet this weekend. They're going to probably cancel a few events. They know that this is really bad. And they're going to wait for somebody to come forward with a really good statement that they can now piggyback on and use as a way, as a way to defend the former president. Somebody will come forward and pick this apart or find a nuance. But there is a lot of fear in my former colleagues. I know that. But they, they, if you admit that this is wrong... You now have to admit that everything you defended for the last six years could possibly be wrong, too. And that's not going to happen. It was interesting to hear uh, Jake's interview with Parla Torre, uh, one of Trump's former attorneys. Um, well, I'm wondering, Ellie, what you thought from a legal standpoint of what he said. Well, to, to Adam's Because he did. I mean, he pointed out to a couple things as being troubling. He did. He conceded that some things were troubling. And to Adam's point, 
what Parlatori would do, his fallback was to say, if true, if supported by the facts. But the thing is, it's in here. It's in this indictment. This indictment brings the receipts. There is a species of indictment that would just be very general. It would just say, on or about such and such date, the defendant did commit this crime, period. This indictment is very different. Every relevant assertion, virtually every relevant assertion in this indictment is backed up by a text, an email, an audio tape, a direct quote. And that's a powerful statement both about the importance of this case and the and the strength of the evidence that they have. And also what I noticed from it, and maybe I'm wrong, but I was reading through this on the train earlier, a lot of it all focuses on, almost all of it all focuses on post-subpoena that they got yeah. in May. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot about the fight that happened before then, which is something, you know, Trump and his attorneys often say, and Trump often tries to defend himself saying, you know, I was open, I would have given them back. We know he fought it for a year and a half. They got the subpoena in May. It was several months later when the FBI showed up at Mar-a-Lago. This seems to all focus on what happened after that subpoena was sent to his attorneys. You, you can see the downward spiral from the point of that subpoena laid out in this indictment. That's important for two reasons for prosecutors. One, it's a charge. A bunch of these charges relate to obstruction. And two, it's such powerful evidence in front of a jury of consciousness of guilt. You say to a jury, why are they hiding doc, uh, boxes of documents? Why are they lying to the FBI and the grand jury? Uh, and that's why I think you see that exact pattern in the indictment. I, I, on the speedy trial issue, there are real political implications for this, obviously. Uh, I think Trump would like to kick this beyond the election. Uh, and so when, when this trial happens is pretty important. I mean, one refuge uh, uh, is, uh, Adam, is uh, for these people who are looking for one is let's let right. a jury decide. Right. You know, and so but that's less useful if the trial is coming up quickly. We didn't say that about Hillary, but they'll say right. that. No, and, right. And Caitlin, things, to your point, it's interesting on page 24 of, of the indictment, uh, the number 62, it, it talks about the timeline. The, the, the grand jury issued a subpoena on May 11th of 2022. It then goes through this step by step, point by point litany of actions that Trump and uh, his assistant took regarding the boxes in the following days, and then it sums it up. It says, in sum, between May 23rd and June 2nd, 2022, before Trump's attorneys, attorney uh, one, review of the Trump boxes in the storage room, Nauda, at Trump's direction, that's his assistant, moved approximately 64 boxes from the storage room to Trump's residence and brought to the storage room only approximately 30 boxes. Neither Trump nor Nauda informed Trump attorney of this information. So there's this flurry of movement between, and collusion between Trump telling Nauda to go down and do this and this. There's like a bunch of, th- of short, like 20-second phone calls and box 64 boxes being moved into his private residence for him to look at and only returning 30. But, this is at- the thing about this case, though, where, you know, so many times we've heard the comparison being made. Well, what about Biden? And what about that? They had classified documents. In this case, the, the improper possession of classified material, which would be one charge, is actually overtaken by the elements of the obstruction, which you see not just on page 24, but woven throughout the documents where you see calculated physical moves of items. And the implication of these moves is moving it from the storage room to his private residence so he can literally go through each box and decide what he wants to do with whatever's in the box. And some of that is is documents. And some of those may be returned and then some of them may be sent elsewhere. And and then others of these moves appear, you know, to be if there's going to be a search, you know, that they won't be where they think they're going to be looking. So calculated stories, what to say, uh, calculated lies. What if we say this? I mean, they have built the obstruction piece 
around the, the underlying he also crime here. Trump changes his summer plans and his summer travel plans in order and, to be at Mar-a-Lago when his own attorneys are coming. But, look, but he, also, he also takes documents with him on his yes. summer to follow, trip. To follow that thread, though, right after that happened, the 24-second phone call, all that stuff, that's June 3rd, which we knew about was when Jay Brad and the other DOJ officials went to Mar-a-Lago. They're in the dining room with Evan Corcoran and Christina Bob. Christina Bob's the one who signed that certification, even though she hadn't actually done the search. And Trump comes by. I remember we found out about this when we found out about when the search was the search happened in August. Trump stopped by that meeting between his attorneys and DOJ officials to say that he was an open book. <laughs> that comes after he was on the phone with Walt, having him move boxes around before his attorneys went down to search. You know, I'm thinking, he meant to say he opened the books. but <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking what uh, Speaker McCarthy said about this DOJ overreaching and mistreating Trump. Let's give everybody that the benefit of doubt that perhaps he did think he declassified the documents. Perhaps he did think uh, he didn't know he had these national security secrets. We now have him on tape saying that he knows he has them. There is a moment in history where we will all be judged. And I think today is one of those days where there is an opportunity. If you don't want to weigh in on January 6th, I think you should, but fine. But the person that you are defending is on tape in text messages saying that I am breaking the law, that I am putting not just his security at risk, but you, Kevin McCarthy, your security is at risk because of what... I mean, he is literally contradicting all those arguments that were made by all of his supporters on a recorded phone call saying to a group of people without security clearances, wait a minute, let's see here. He's showing the document. It's highly confidential. He says secret. This is secret information. Look, look at this. I mean, it's By literally saying this is secret information. I kind of want to say look, to Kevin McCarthy, look, look, Kevin, look at yeah. this. There, there, is no, there is no relationship between what and why Kevin McCarthy said what he said right. and what's in that document. He says, see, as <laughs> president, said, I could have declassified it. And they go, yeah, and laugh, a staffer. And then he says, now I can't, you know, but this is still a secret. I do wonder what the political experts at the table think of the difference between this indictment and the Manhattan DA indictment, because... I can readily see how a normal person can sort of shrug up, okay, how they docketed payments seven years ago to a, a porn star, hush money payments. We saw a lot of big deal type response to that, which I sort of understand. To me, putting aside the lawyer hat, just as a normal person, it's much, much harder to do that here. Yeah, well, there's no, listen, when that indictment came out, one of the issues was, is this, if he's going to be indicted in multiple places, this is kind of a break for him mm-hmm. because it colors all these other indictments. There's no doubt that this one is, is stunning uh, as it stands next to that one. But when you think about, you're asking a political question, when you think about what Kevin McCarthy is thinking about, the, the meme that tr- Trump has set up in his community, in his tribe, as you put it, is uh, they don't treat Biden this way, they didn't treat Hillary Clinton this way, this is they're going after me because they're going after you. And this has currency among his base. And the interesting thing about the history, you mentioned the history. It was a year ago today we had our first January 6th hearing in, in our series. And it's when Liz Cheney said, I'll paraphrase her, something like, you can continue to defend Trump, but long after he's gone, your dishonor will remain. Mm. And that's that moment here today, too. It's not just January 6th. It's this. And also keep in mind, on top of all this, is something that we haven't talked much about. The Secret Service's job at Mar-a-Lago was not to defend classified information. 
Their job is to defend the body of the president of the United States. According to this, they were unaware there was right. this information. So it was the documents. If you think about who's protecting Mar-a-Lago, it's Secret Service. The documents had absolutely no physical protection. Not just they were in the bathroom, but there was nobody there with a responsibility besides Donald Trump to defend those documents. The, the irony is that the only people in the building who, were, who had top secret clearance were the Secret Service agents who didn't know the material was even I mean, even if there's... I'm sorry. On the political side, I think this plays different in the Republican primary and the general election, right? So you have... uh, Maybe the 35% never leave Trump, you know? And so he becomes the nominee. I think that bodes very well for the Democrats because I think when you think about what would motivate an electorate who might not be as enthusiastic this go-around as they were in 2020... Knowing you have someone on the top of the Republican ticket that is putting our national security at risk, those are the questions voters ask. Because you know, you know, people always say, "Oh, it's the economy." It's always Donald Trump wasn't thinking about the economy when he was, you know, showing classified documents off. And so it plays very different in a primary for the Republicans. Yeah, than it does there's no, there's no doubt, there's no doubt that even if this were not a crime. It is so grossly yes. irresponsible that it becomes a huge thing if he gets to a general election. The idea that Biden, though, they say Biden was responsible for this. The idea that Biden is trying to stop Donald Trump from becoming the nominee of the Republican Party defies political logic. Yeah. Right. Former President Trump is set to appear in a Miami courtroom next Tuesday. What the Secret Service has just said about its plans as that court appearance happens. More ahead. And welcome back to The Lead. We're back with our law and justice lead right now. The U.S. Secret Service will not, not seek any special accommodations for Donald Trump's court appearance in Miami on Tuesday, we're told. The federal courthouse there in the Sunshine State is preparing for its day in the sun as security for the arrest of a former president. Obviously, no small undertaking. Federal and local law enforcement meeting today in Miami to try to figure out how this will all go down and the best way to go about doing it. CNN's Kara Scannell is in Miami for us. We're also joined by CNN Chief Law Enforcement and Intelligence Analyst John Miller and Marcos Jimenez, the former U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of Florida. Kara, let me start with you. What do we know about the security preparations for Trump's historic court appearance leading up to Tuesday? Well, Jake, I mean, we're still four days away and there's no obvious increased security presence just yet outside the courthouse. You know, a source, a law enforcement source did tell us that they did a threat assessment against the building and the surrounding areas this morning and that they did not find any credible threats. We can expect that that will continue as we get closer to Tuesday. And as you said, the Secret Service says that they are not taking any special accommodations, but they will be in constant contact with their law enforcement partners. Now, the city of Miami Police Department also said that they will be working with federal and local and state authorities to ensure, you know, and help them secure detours or road closures to make this a seamless process. And, you know, we can learn a lot from how this was handled in New York just two months ago. The former president was indicted there, did show up for an arraignment. You know, and at that arraignment, you know, the streets were locked down. There was, you know, a clear pathway for him. And interestingly, you know, he was brought into the DA's office there, brought into the courthouse and then exited really without being seen in the public eye. We can expect the same to happen here if the process follows its normal route. He will be 
he will self-surrender to the U.S. Marshals here. This will all take place uh, behind closed doors, likely in the courthouse just behind me. There are a couple of different courthouse structures here. Uh, but, you know, in New York, we were able to see a, a brief video of Trump walking into the courtroom, and then still photographers were allowed to capture images of Trump sitting behind the defense table. Here in federal court, there are no cameras allowed of any kind. So it's possible this whole day we will never actually see the former president. We don't see him enter. We won't see him inside the courtroom, and we likely won't see him leave. Uh, so that is a, a, a distinction from what happened in New York just two months ago. But, you know, these security preparations will continue through the weekend leading up till Tuesday. And we're waiting to learn exactly more details of what to expect. Jake. A lot of opaqueness in the Sunshine State there. Uh, Marcos, a Donald Trump appointee has been initially assigned to oversee this case. Federal District Judge Eileen Cannon, her appointment of a third party special master to review documents seized from Mar-a-Lago raised some eyebrows, and that decision was eventually overturned by a conservative panel of appeals court judges. Uh, what can you tell us about Judge Cannon and, and how you think she will rule on Trump's case? Well, it's not clear to me that Judge Cannon will absolutely keep this case, but uh, it's very likely that she will. Uh, judge Cannon is one of our newest judges, if not the newest judges, uh, judge that we have in the district. She's assigned uh, to Fort Pierce, which is the farthest city north. Uh, so we don't see much of her uh, down here in Miami, where I'm located. But uh, she's a former prosecutor, uh, like I am. Uh, she's smart and she's capable. And despite what happened previously, uh, I think she'll do a good job. And I think she'll do her best to follow the law and let the facts play out. John Miller, uh, how will these complicated law enforcement preparations for Mr. Trump's appearance at the courthouse Tuesday, how will that impact the way Trump's arrest will play out. So that's complicated. Uh, you know, you've got the Secret Service that will be with him and they will be bringing him and transporting him. But then you have the FBI who takes him into custody. At that point, the Secret Service steps back because once he's arrested, he's property of the FBI. This is where the logistical stuff gets kind of fuzzy because normally he'd go to the FBI office in Miami, which is pretty far away from the federal courthouse, and they would book him and fingerprint him and take his mugshots and then bring him to the courthouse. Um, in this case, what they're talking about today is, is that going to be the way they do it, the regular way? Or are they going to find a way to do a booking process at the courthouse so that they can get him into a conference room and then directly to the courtroom for the arraignment? All of this is the moving parts that have to go between Secret Service, FBI, the court, the United States Marshals. Once he's in the court and in front of the judge, the FBI steps back and either the court lets him go, which is likely, um, or he becomes the property of the U.S. Marshal um, and under their control, highly unlikely since it's anticipated he's going to be released. Outside, you've got the police piece, 1,100 cops in the city of Miami, 2,400 for the county of Metro-Dade. Probably Florida state troopers will all have to get together to figure out how to handle crowds, maybe demonstrators, and yes, press. Um, that entrance for Trump and exit from the courthouse will likely be in vehicles in the garage, up, back down, and out of the garage. Interesting. And Marcos, there was some uh, question as to whether or not this trial was going to take place in southern Florida or D.C. Uh, the alleged crimes took place for the most part, in Florida, but there, are always, there are also is a possibility it would be in D.C. because of the obstruction charge potentially being able to uh, be used here. How, how do you think the trial of a former Republican president in this venue, in a state that Trump won twice, uh, be different? 
Well, uh, you know, look, I, a lot of people are coming to Miami. Uh, you know, Jack Smith is taking his talents now to, to South Beach, uh, like Lionel Messi and many of our sports teams. Uh, but uh, seriously, I, I think this trial is going to play out uh, extremely well in our district. Uh, as I've said before, we have uh, extremely good jurors uh, who are uh, level-headed. Uh, they follow the law. I've tried many cases in this district and I've always been impressed with our jurors. Uh, they do their best and they are, uh, by and large, just really excellent. We have the best justice system in the world. Uh, there is nothing better than to have a jury of your peers. And it's interesting that the peers now are people who weren't former presidents, but Donald Trump is a private citizen. He will be tried by a jury of his peers. He will get a fair trial and he will do uh, as well as any other defendant in this district. Uh, I'm sure he will have excellent counsel. Uh, there are great criminal defense attorneys here. It'll be interesting to see who shows up on Tuesday to represent him. But I would expect that it's someone who is extremely uh, accomplished and will do the, the best to present the president's case. All right, Marco, Marco Jimenez, John Miller, Karis Canal, thanks to all of you. Appreciate it. The 2024 Republican candidates are, are largely lining up behind Trump and attacking Joe Biden and the Justice Department for the criminal indictment. But during Trump's first run for president back in 2016, he, of course, took a very different line when it came to classified documents and his then opponent, Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton will be under investigation for a long, long time, for her many crimes against our nation, our people, our democracy, likely concluding in a criminal trial. That was Donald Trump on the campaign trail, obsessed, angry about Hillary Clinton's treatment of classified materials, teeing up the crowd to launch into the familiar lock her up chant about Hillary Clinton's handling or mishandling of classified materials. Here's a bit more of how Trump used, used to attack Clinton for behavior very similar, perhaps even paling in comparison to the 37 charges that he now faces. She bleached and deleted 33,000 emails after receiving a congressional subpoena. She lied about it over and over and over again. We may not know what's in those deleted emails. Our enemies probably know every single one of them. So they probably now have a blackmail file over someone who wants to be the president of the United States. This fact alone disqualifies her from the presidency. Uh, Hillary Clinton uh, doing a butter emails hat there in a tweet earlier uh, today. Um, let's talk about all of this with uh, uh, anyway. Former President Trump is not the only prominent politician accused of mishandling classified documents. As I've noted, President Biden still under federal investigation. Just last week, former Vice President Pence was notified he was cleared of criminal charges in his case in 2007. President George W. Bush's Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez. Uh, was accused of mishandling top-secret information, according to a Justice Department report on two of the nation's most sensitive terrorism programs. Gonzalez was ultimately not prosecuted. He's joining us now. Uh, Attorney General Gonzalez, thank you so much for, for joining us. If former President Trump had cooperated with investigators from the beginning, 
where would we be right now, do you think? I think he would be in much better position, quite frankly. I think uh, it would have affected some of the charges. Uh, and so it's, it would have been a much different situation. But, but th- you know, this issue of mishandling of classified information is a very, very serious one. I think Jack Smith summed it up very neatly in terms of the damage and danger it provides. It, uh, the unauthorized disclosure or mishandling uh, results possibly to the security of our country, our nation's citizens, our military around the world. And as an example of how sensitive and how, how uh, careful uh, our government considers this, you know, I, I was investigated uh, about uh, handwritten notes that I'd written about a classified program that was stored in my internal safe in, at the Department of Justice on the fifth floor in the AG's office. But because it wasn't a skiff, it was a technical violation. But nonetheless, there was, an, there was an investigation because, again, the government takes this very seriously. And so this is a big deal. It really is. And I, I was somewhat worried, quite frankly, what this uh, indictment would read like uh, because of the stature of the uh, the defendant here. But, you know, you read this and I, quite frankly, I found it shocking. Uh, the level and the level of detail, I think, was amazing. I think it tells a compelling story. And I think that um, the indictment and the work of Jack Smith's team justifies the confidence that the attorney general had in Jack Smith and his team. And I think I think that they're going to do a good job in prosecuting this case. What was the most shocking part of the indictment in your view? Well, the the. Uh, the most shock. Well, there was just so much, Jake. Quite frankly, the the uh, number of classified documents, where they were stored, completely unprotected, uh, the efforts to hide them, to move them, to to obstruct, uh, turning them over. Uh, you know, the story is really quite compelling, quite honestly. And so, it, I'm. It's going to be a very interesting trial. Obviously, like every other defendant. Uh, uh, President, former President Trump is presumed innocent until proven guilty. But it's a pretty compelling story here in this indictment. And let me just say one more final word about uh, the timing of the, this release. Uh, it is true that typically uh, the uh, indictment is not unsealed until there is a presentment. Uh, I, as a general matter, the department doesn't care about who controls the, narr- the narrative. But the fact that it was released before presentment tells me that there was some concern about it. And uh, but anyway, I think that the department has has done its work and we'll just see what happens at trial. Um, a lot of Republicans uh, running to Donald Trump's defense today. A lot of them. Um, the Speaker of the House before the indictment was even unsealed. Uh, there's a statement I'm looking at from Senator Mike Lee of Utah Uh, saying the Biden administration's actions can only be compared to the type of oppressive tactics routinely seen in nations such as Venezuela, Bolivia, and Nicaragua, which are absolutely alien and unacceptable. In America, he calls this an an act of absolute disrespect, which echoes despotism. Um, What's your reaction when you see the Republican officials making comments like that? Well, they can they can move to those countries, quite frankly, and and live under the rules in those countries. As far as I'm concerned, uh, it's disappointing. I don't understand it. I've got great confidence in the, the men and women who work at the Department of Justice. Uh, it's not perfect. We're not, we weren't perfect, and and I'm sure this department is not perfect, but they work very very hard to get it right. 
And, uh, you know, the, the, this indictment is quite, it's quite overwhelming. Uh, and so uh, I, I'm disappointed, quite frankly. Uh, I, at a minimum, I, I would like to have seen the leadership in the House and other Republicans in the House, it, it, you know, if they're not going to uh, condemn the president, at least not say anything and let the trial play out and see what happens. Uh, but it is disappointing, quite honestly, because an attack on the Department of Justice is an attack on the rule of law. And that's not good for this country. Uh, we've got enough serious problems as it is. And it's just very disappointing that our leadership, so-called leadership, at least on the Republican side, is acting the way, that they, the way that they are. Let me give you a little pop quiz here. It's a little unfair. But here is a statement from Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House. And I want you to tell me who he's talking about, OK? And, and I'll put the parts that are in quotes in quotes. Despite the claim that there was no classified material, quote, the FBI found over 100 documents that contained classified content, perhaps most notably, the FBI could not rule out the possibility that foreign powers or hostile actors actors accessed, unquote, the classified material. This person, whom McCarthy is criticizing, quote, their fundamental lack of judgment and wanton disregard for protecting and keeping information confidential raises continued questions about the exposure of our nation's diplomatic and national security secrets, unquote. So who do you think he was talking about? I'm going to guess Hillary Clinton. That's right. That's excellent. But, do you th- but don't you think that that exact statement could apply to this except times a thousand? Oh, no question about it. Again, it's, it's, it's hypocritical. And uh, I, I must tell you, Jake, uh, I don't understand the hold that this person has uh, on the Republican Party and the cowardice uh, that and I'm going to call it for what I how I see it. The cowardice of people uh, in the Congress uh, who are afraid of, of Donald Trump uh, and uh, they're more concerned about the next election than about the next generation and in, in this country. And so it's disappointing. It really is. Uh, but we'll see what happens again. Um, uh, I'm, I'm proud of the work of the department uh, as reflected in this indictment. And we'll see whether or not uh, the, the department will be successful in bringing this person to justice. Former Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez, it's good to see you, sir. Thank you so much. And thank you for your intellectual consistency. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jake. So what was Donald Trump doing the day that we all learned of these serious allegations against him in the lead up to the 37 count indictment alleging multiple federal crimes being unsealed? Well, he was on the golf course at his Bedminster, New Jersey club with Florida Republican Congressman Carlos Jimenez, who tweeted this photo with the caption, quote, tea time with Trump. That's sweet. And while Trump is in New Jersey, some of his supporters have gathered near Mar-a-Lago in Florida to show their support. CNN's Randy Kay is on the scene outside Mar-a-Lago in West Palm Beach, Florida. Randy, what is what's the mood there now that the indictment's been unsealed? Well, Jake, uh, there's just a few supporters gathered here. Uh, yesterday, there was a much larger crowd, so and they did say that they would be back this evening, so we do expect that crowd to grow. Uh, but even when you speak to them about the allegations in this indictment and the charges against uh, the former president, they do not budge uh, from their support for the former president. They believe, uh, those who I spoke with say that these documents were planted there. They don't even believe that the former president took them to Mar-a-Lago, which is right here behind me. Uh, they think that this is a political witch hunt. 
Uh, those are their words, and that it's uh, political garbage, as one of them told me. And there are some people who have been driving by, honking their horn, yelling out the window uh, to lock him up. So uh, it's certainly interesting to hear that phrase uh, regarding the former president. We also went into town, Jake, just to the town of Palm Beach, and spoke to some people, uh, two people who actually voted for the former president. One of them told me that she hopes that he doesn't run. She thinks it's bad for the party and that he should uh, back out of the race. And then another gentleman who voted for him and just said that he, he thinks that uh, nobody is above the law and he doesn't believe that he should be running either. Jake. All right, Randy Kay, uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. Thank you so much. Good gig in West Palm Beach, Florida. The indictment against Donald Trump cites five specific comments made by the former president. We're going to play those moments coming up. I'm also going to speak with one of the candidates running against Trump for the 2024 uh, Republican nomination. How much weight is this indictment having on the presidential race? Stay with us. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. This hour, a look inside the first ever ever federal indictment of a former president of the United States. It was unsealed just this afternoon. It contains 37 charges against Donald Trump. The document alleges that Mr. Trump kept documents so sensitive they required special handling. And the handling was, well, let's just say not so special. Storage locations for documents on U.S. defense, nuclear programs, uh, and more in the insecure Mar-a-Lago facility include in a bathroom, on a stage, in a shower, uh, in, the, in a ballroom where public events were held. The indictment also alleges that Trump showed these documents to at least one person and asked his attorney to lie to the federal government about possessing these classified documents or to hide or destroy the documents that had been subpoenaed. Uh, it specifically says that on at least two occasions Trump showed the classified material to others who didn't have the clearance to see him. And this afternoon, special counsel Jack Smith made his first ever remarks on the Trump uh, indictment, plainly stating that no one, not, not even a former president, is above the law. Our nation's commitment to the rule of law sets an example for the world. We have one set of laws in this country, and they apply to everyone. Special counsel Smith also making the point today that violations of U.S. laws when it comes to classified documents put the nation at risk. Prosecutors claim that Trump can't feign ignorance, that he knew exactly what was at stake, and that he was aware of the proper procedures for handling classified documents. The evidence, his own words. The federal indictment lists five specific public comments Trump made about this subject, and here they are. In my administration, I'm going to enforce all laws concerning the protection of classified information. No one will be above the law. We can't have someone in the Oval Office who doesn't understand the meaning of the word confidential or classified. One of the first things we must do is to enforce all classification rules and to enforce all laws relating to the handling of classified information. We also need the best protection of classified information. Service members here in North Carolina have risked their lives to acquire classified intelligence to protect our country. CNN's Evan Pettis joins me now. Evan, what stood out to you the most in this detailed indictment? 
Well, Jake, one of the things that I think uh, we should focus on is, you know, something that uh, his one of his former attorneys, Mr. Parlatori, said to you last, uh, in the, uh, I think in the last hour, uh, where he raised the question of, you know, where he, there were hundreds of documents that the former president is accused of taking, uh, and really we only list, they list 31 documents in this uh, indictment, and 31 counts relate to specific documents that the Justice Department is prepared to pierce the, the classification of. They're prepared to bring into court and risk the possibility that at least some of that information is going to have to be shared with this jury. And so that's what I'm told is, is, what, is why you see this focus on these 31 documents. They could very well have uh, members of the CIA and other, uh, the Department of Defense, other agencies that own these documents, that produce some of these documents, these very sensitive secrets, uh, have to testify to a jury to prove that what the president did was put national security at risk. And so what we know is that the former president is accused of storing these things in a very cavalier fashion, a, a very risky fashion. They say in this document, they say uh, at the bottom of page two, that the, they were, he was put, storing them in Mar-a-Lago in a places including a bathroom, uh, a shower, uh, an office space, um, a bedroom, and a storage room. You see some of the photographs that they've shared in this indictment showing some of the ways that the former president uh, was storing these documents. We also know that the former president was willing to share these documents or at least expose some of the secrets contained in them. On page three, they talk about uh, something that you know, Paula Reed and our team has been, has been reporting on, which is uh, this uh, meeting, this extraordinary meeting where biographers for Mark Meadows are told about this, uh, this attack plan uh, for, uh, to, for, the, for, for the U.S. government to attack Iran. And he says, um, as president, I should have declassified it. Now I can't, you know, you know, but this is still a secret. Again, indication according to prosecutors that the former president knew these were classified documents. He knew that he didn't have the power anymore as a former president to, to declassify these documents, and yet he was here showing this to people inside this room at Bedminster, his private club. They also say that he was, he was willing to share uh, or, or uh, expose some of these documents to a member of a political action committee, again, showing the former president putting the nation's top secrets uh, at risk. Uh, Jake, one of the things that really stands out is the fact that the former president's own lawyer, uh, who apparently uh, memorialized some of his conversations with the former president, really has some very damning things uh, that he recorded the former president saying, talking about how, uh, you know, if you don't want anyone looking at his boxes, I'll read you just something from page 21, uh, where he says specifically in response to the fact that the lawyer is asking him uh, how to respond to the subpoena to produce some of these documents, he says, I don't want anyone looking. I don't want anyone looking through my boxes. I really don't. I don't want you looking through my boxes. And then uh, later on, he talks about how uh, what he wants is for the lawyer essentially to, to lie, that there are no documents to return to the federal government. He says again on page 25, uh, he made a funny, a funny motion as though, well, okay, why don't you take them with you to your hotel room, and if there's uh, anything really bad in there, I'd like you to pluck it out, and that was the motion he made. He didn't say that. So again, Evan Corcoran, who is his attorney, uh, was the one who was forced to testify to the grand jury, uh, Jake, and he was essentially these are the documents these are the president's own words according to Evan Corcoran who which are now being used in this case against the former president Jake all right Evan Perez thanks so much let's bring in CNN's uh, Elena Treen who's near
Trump's bed, uh, Bedminster Golf Club, where the former president is gathered uh, with allies. Elena, before the indictment came down, Trump allies told you that they were feeling jacked up. They were really excited about what was about to happen. It, now that the indictment is down uh, and we're reading it and it's stunning and frankly, it seems awful uh, for the former president. Are they still are they still jacked up? Uh, well, I should say, Jake, that that was what the Trump team was trying to portray, right. at least. But no, I'm hearing um, from sources you know, familiar with the mood inside Ben Minister, just nearby where we are now, um, that the mood has changed today after the unsealing of the indictment. And I'll just start to say this morning. Donald Trump was playing golf at his Ben Minister Golf Club, again, very nearby to here, uh, with a Florida congressman as his allies were shoring up support for him and ensuring that people were going to continue to defend him online. And last night, like you mentioned, his team was feeling, you know, more focused on the political impact of this, thinking that it could, he could get a political boost from this in the short term for his re-election campaign. But I will say, now that the indictment has been unsealed, a source that I spoke with said that the mood inside Ben Minister had changed. They're now more focused on, you know, what could this mean for Donald Trump legally? And they do recognize that the legal implications of this could be a big concern. And so it's not the same vibe that we're hearing. I'll also add that last night, again, when they were getting a lot of the support, hearing from Donald Trump's allies on Capitol Hill and elsewhere, they were feeling emboldened, but, and they were eager to share that with reporters. But today, uh, his very talkative team has gone noticeably quiet. And so, um, we're still looking to see what we'll hear from Trump. We're told he's not going to be making live remarks tonight. There was a question if he would do that, uh, from his cough cup in New Jersey, but he is still expected to go uh, to North Carolina and Georgia tomorrow for his already planned campaign stops, Jake. All right, Elena Trina in New Jersey, thanks so much. Good to see you. Joining us now to discuss classified information, former Republican Congressman Will Hurd, who served as a former undercover CIA officer, and also with us, Valerie Plain, uh, who was an undercover CIA officer uh, whose identity uh, was infamously revealed uh, by the Bush White House. Uh, thanks to both of you for being here. Um, so, Valerie, uh, let me start with you. We now know uh, more about what information the classified documents contained. Uh, and very specifically, uh, Jack Smith writes that the unauthorized disclosure of these classified documents could put at risk the national security of the United States, foreign relations, the safety of the United States military, and human sources, and the continued viability of sensitive intelligence collection methods. That's a direct quote. Uh, your response, Valerie. Good to be with you, Jake. Uh, what happened today is nothing less than a seismic event in the history of our country. Nothing like this has ever happened. And frankly, the U.S. credibility is, uh, is at stake. Oh, the world is watching how we proceed with this. The indictment that has just been unsealed, and we understand more of the details inside, is absolutely stunning in its detail. We knew that there were classified five documents, but not the specificity, uh, nuclear secrets. And what this, what this is uh, telling us is that uh, uh, Trump clearly broke the law. I can tell you that as a CIA officer, if I had left even one piece of classified paper on my desk at the end of the day, I would have faced severe consequences. And the president, uh, I think one way to make America great again is to make sure that no one is above the law. Will Hurd, uh, former CIA officer as well, included in the indictment are photographs 
of the boxes, clearly insecure, in a bathroom, on a ballroom stage, laying around on the floor after they fell during, uh, in a storage room. Uh, what was your reaction as somebody who used to help gather such information uh, as a CIA officer? Well, well for, my first reaction was if I had 15 boxes in, in my house, uh, I wouldn't be talking to you, number one. Number two, the, 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 the thing that's to me was most damning, and, and I, read, I read the indictment, it's the text messages between the staff. It's the communications between Trump and his staff. Donald Trump willingly took classified documents from the White House. He knew he had them. He then lied about having them. And then he tried to get his staffers to lie about them. And then he tried to lie to his lawyers about this. This is absolutely outrageous. And, and what is what is most frustrating to me is that this is someone who is spitting in the face of the thousands of men and women who put themselves in harm's way every single day, who's away from their families every single day in order to protect our country and he's just spitting in their face. And to me, uh, that's, that's despicable. Valerie, you know better than almost anyone how sensitive U.S. classified material can be. Uh, you and I have talked about uh, your fears about what might have happened to people that you talked to in the field after mm -hmm. uh, the Bush White House uh, revealed your identity. Um, how few people would even have access to stuff that deals with nuclear secrets, do you think? Uh <laughs> Very few. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly with Will, because what's at stake here are, is nothing less than the lives of Americans and U.S. national security. Trump has acted in an utterly reckless and cavalier fashion with these documents. Uh, we don't we can only speculate on why he did this. It doesn't really matter, though. Uh, the law is the law and no one should be above it. Uh, sources and methods is what we protect at all cost, uh, both, uh, you know, our, for our friends and our allies. And he has treated this in such a reckless, uh, despicable fashion that uh, I can only hope that the Department of Justice and the FBI just follow the facts and fully prosecute this. Will, are you supported, you're a former Republican congressman, are you supported so many of the Republican presidential candidates, with the exceptions of Asa Hutchinson and Chris Christie. But all the others uh, are attacking the Justice Department, defending Trump. And, and your former uh, leader, Kevin McCarthy, uh, is out there talking about this isn't justice, et cetera. Look, regardless of what DOJ does or doesn't do in other cases, it doesn't what, make what Donald Trump d did acceptable. And, and whether Donald Trump is convicted or not convicted by a jury, and yes, nobody is above the law and you're innocent until proven guilty. The evidence that is provided in this, in this, in this affidavit and this indictment letter is, 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 is proof that this guy is not, should not be president of the, of the United States and we shouldn't be defending him. If the GOP is supposed to be the party of personal responsibility, then we need to hold ourselves to a higher standard. And, and, and for those that haven't read that, I would tell them, go in and read it and see what happened. And it's just, it's outrageous, the kind of behavior that we saw. And here's what's also going to happen. Do you think, yes, maybe this, this strengthens his supporters 
Um, but do you think the six out of 10 Americans that do not want to see Donald Trump run for reelection that are independents and conservative Democrats, you think they're good? This is going to make them want to vote for the guy, right? Like this, this, this shouldn't be about winning elections, but this is someone who shouldn't be the standard bearer of, of our party. So just one, just a quick question. It's the same question for both of you. And that is, the indictment alleges that Donald Trump showed at least two documents to different people, uh, Mark Meadows, autobiographers, uh, and somebody that worked for a Trump super PAC, I believe. Um, we also know that Mar-a-Lago is not a secure environment. We know that there have been at least two Chinese nationals uh, that trespassed. We know about this other con woman pretending to be a Rothschild who got into Mar-a-Lago. Do you think just as, a, as people who used to engage in, in, in this tradecraft— do you think it's likely that spies got into Mar-a-Lago and saw some of this stuff, Valerie? Uh, well, we know that's a private club uh, and that we have no real understanding of who can come and go. Clearly, it's not secured. Uh, the ballroom, the, the bo- boxes uh, of classified material in, a, in the bathroom, it's, it's crazy making. Um, it, Knowing what we know now, in addition to all the details and indictment as this unfolds, is there any question now that Donald Trump is a clear and present danger to the United States of America? Uh, and for any any American to continue to pretend otherwise is uh, simply unrealistic. Will Hurd, I know my question is speculative, but I mean, what's your suspicion? Sure. Look, look it's hard for me to, to say, you know, whether whether they were vulnerable. Here's what I do know. If Donald Trump would have given these documents back, we wouldn't be in this situation. My read of of the charging documents is he's not being charged for any of the documents that he had and he returned. He's only being charged for the ones that he lied about having and and we found out after the fact. So we wouldn't be having these conversations if Donald Trump uh, wasn't being a jerk and would have just given the documents back when, when he was asked, similar to what Mike Pence did, right? And so we wouldn't be here if that was the case. Former Congressman Will Hurd, Republican of Texas, uh, Valerie Plain, thank you to both of you for being here. Thank you to both of you uh, for serving in our clandestine services. We really appreciate it. This is now the second indictment against Donald Trump. The first, of course, was in New York, then this new federal indictment. How much impact is it having on the 2024 presidential campaign? How are Trump rivals trying to use this to their advantage? I'm going to talk to one of those rivals next. Republican candidates for president have reacted to Trump's indictment on the campaign trail today. Nikki Haley called it, quote, prosecutorial overreach. Ron DeSantis called it a weaponization of federal law enforcement. Mike Pence says it invites a divisiveness in this country. Chris Christie, on the other hand, said no one is above the law. And former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson called the indictment a major distraction. And he called on Trump to drop out of the race. Uh, with me now is former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, who is running for the Republican nomination for president. Uh, Governor, uh, you are calling on Donald Trump to end his campaign in the wake of this second indictment. Why? For the good of the country and for the good of the office of presidency, this is unprecedented that we have a former president criminally charged for mishandling classified information, for obstruction of justice. Uh, This obviously will be an issue uh, during the campaign, but for the sake of the country, uh, he doesn't need this distraction. The country doesn't need this distraction as well. These are serious charges. I've looked at the indictment. You think about it, I actually prosecuted a former president 
uh, while he was in office for obstruction of justice. I obviously, as a former federal prosecutor, take these charges seriously. And he's entitled to his day in court, presumption of innocence, but the campaign does not need this distraction. He doesn't need the distraction of a campaign. And so that's the reason I say it. Obviously, he's not going to do it, but to me, uh, these are serious charges that merit serious consideration by the public. This indictment uh, shares some new details about the kinds of uh, secret documents uh, Trump had, including information regarding defense and weapons capabilities of both the U.S. and foreign countries, the U.S. nuclear programs, potential vulnerabilities of the U.S. and its allies to military attack, plans for possible retaliation in response to a foreign attack, all of these documents, and based on the indictment, they were just sitting around in boxes in this hotel. Well, the indictment is very specific, uh, both in terms of what was exposed and not protected, uh, and that was a question everybody had at the beginning when you had the Mar-a-Lago raid as to what level of, of classified information is in jeopardy here, is being disclosed, and now we see that they're highly sensitive documents and secrets that we have that is not being adequately protected according to the indictment. But you also have uh, the willfulness that's an issue and on the obstruction of justice that's laid out very clearly in the indictment as well. And my message is simply that uh, the Republicans, uh, the leadership uh, in Congress and across the country should not dismiss this indictment as being simply politically motivated uh, because it has the ring of seriousness, it has the ring of professionalism in the indictment, and it should not be lightly dismissed. And so it's going to be an issue in the campaign as to how someone who's running for that highest office uh, handles classified information, our nation's secrets, and cooperation with law enforcement authorities yeah. uh, versus uh, what you're going to see in the courtroom. So the indictment outlines two specific occasions when Trump showed classified documents to other people. Uh, first, in July 2021, sh uh, Trump showed, according to the indictment, and described a plan of attack on Iran, uh, we think it is, prepared for him by the Department of Defense. And in August or September 2021, that same year, Trump showed a representative from his political action committee, somebody who did not possess security clearance, a classified map related to a military operation. I mean, it's pretty stunning. What, what was your response when you read that? Well, uh, my response is that that's a serious violation of uh, the responsibility to keep classified material protected. Uh, I've had my uh, security clearances. I understand what is required, and he did not follow those rules. But just as significantly, he's uh, showing them to people that have no need to know it. Uh, and why is he doing that? That's subject to motivation and the proof related to that. But it appears he's just showing that he can do it. And that, once again, is somebody who believes that they're not following the same rules of, of the law and requirements uh, for classified material that everyone else is expected to follow. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, thank you so much for your time today, sir. Thank you, Jake. And Monday night, only on CNN, look out for Chris Christie's reaction in the CNN Republican Presidential Town Hall. My colleague Anderson Cooper will moderate that one in New York. That's Monday night at 8 Eastern, again, only on CNN. In addition to the classified documents case, special counsel Jack Smith is also investigating Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Remember that? Next, I'm going to speak with two people who spent more than a year 
investigating the January 6th attack at the Capitol, what they make of where this federal investigation is headed next. Quick reminder, special counsel Jack Smith could potentially also indict Trump for the other giant piece of his investigation into the former president, trying to overturn the 2020 election. Remember that? Let's bring in two former members of the January 6th Select House Committee, former Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger from the great state of Illinois and current Congresswoman from California, Zoe Lofgren, um, former Congressman Kinzinger. I'm going to ask you right now, how do you feel about the GOP right now as you're watching everybody with the exceptions of uh, Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson and then I guess Alberto Gonzalez come to Donald Trump's defense when this pretty detailed factual indictment comes forward? I mean, look, it's, uh, it's not surprising, Jake. It's disappointing. I mean, it's another long line of disappointments. You know, my party has always claimed to be this party of law and order. And, but what you're seeing right now is really third world. And it's not third world, you know, DOJ. It's third world that there's a party that is so driven by a personality that if formed around a man that will fight for this man no matter what. I mean, he literally could stand in Fifth Avenue. I mean, it, it's, it, it, I'm still mourning this. I've been mourning kind of the death of my party for a few years. And, and this is just a, another, I guess, cherry on top of that. Well, I'm, I'm still holding out hope, Congressman, you and some others. Hey, Mitt Romney's still in office. Congresswoman yeah, uh, Lofgren, yeah. uh, Jack Smith got Donald Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, to testify. Uh, but he refused to testify before your January 6th committee. DOJ obviously has a little bit more heft they can put yep. people in jail. Uh, Meadows' lawyer released this statement, quote, Mr. Meadows has maintained a commitment to tell the truth where he has a legal obligation to do so, unquote. What, what was your reaction when you heard Meadows testified uh, before this grand jury when he wouldn't do it for the uh, select committee? Well, first, he should have talked to us. Um, but, I, you know, Mark's in a position to know almost everything. And uh, he gave us, before he stopped talking, a lot of, uh, you know, records that were very damning. And uh, there, but he has more to say. He was burning things up. He was there when the ex-president was plotting with others. He went to Georgia to help overturn the election. I mean, really, more than anyone else, he knows everything. And if he is telling the truth, then I think that would be a very significant uh, turn of events in that investigation. If he's telling the truth, you said. Well, did I say it that way? If he is, um, I didn't mean it that way. I'm assuming if he's he's telling the truth. But he said if if he is able to. Now, is he taking the Fifth Amendment? That I don't know. And he certainly, that was what I was trying to say very poorly. Um, I don't know that I I think it was poor. I mean, it was was fine. It was just an interesting way of phrasing uh, Meadows' participation. I I, I hear you. You you didn't mean to impugn. Uh, I I get it. I get it. Uh, Congressman Kinzinger, several Trump-aligned members of Congress have accused Biden of weaponizing the DOJ. Uh, Senate leaders such as Mitch McConnell and and John Thune have been notably silent, we should note. Um, Do you expect any faction of... I don't want to say moderate Republicans because, you know, Mitch McConnell and John Thune and Mitt Romney are not moderate. Um, they're conservative. But um, sane Republicans, I don't know what term to use anymore, but, but non-MAGA Republicans to, to vocally and actively distance themselves from Trump in the coming days? So I, I think sane, that's what I try to use. They're like governing or actually, you know, country over party Republicans. Um, 
I, no, I, I don't think you're going to. I'm sure Mitt Romney, if he hasn't put out a, a statement, will. Um, you know, and there's a few. I think Mitch McConnell will probably stay quiet. And what you'll see, Jake, because I've, I've, I've lived this for as many years as Donald Trump was president, where as a rank and file member Republican, you're sitting around probably canceling all your events this weekend and waiting for somebody to come forward with some powerful, nuanced argument that you can use, including things like, well, we now have to let the trial take place. And, uh, and so I think what you'll see best of anybody, the best we can hope for is silence from a few people. But I really don't expect him to come out. This is really bad, though. I mean, it's possible, but it just it, there's the the cowardice, frankly, has just been again. It continues to surprise me daily. That was a word that Alberto Gonzalez, uh, the former Bush Attorney General, used earlier in the show about people like people who had really harsh words for what Hillary Clinton did when it came to insecure uh, email servers and classified documents, um, which pales in comparison by by any any measure. To this, uh, Congresswoman Lofgren, uh, in March, you said that Trump's rhetoric regarding his possible indictment by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg was more overt and blatant than his language leading up to January 6th. We've seen some bizarre, there was a bizarre tweet by your colleague, Congressman Clay Higgins. I, I can't, I don't even know. I was it's, just gonna, yeah, yeah, it sounded yeah. like he was calling for some sort of military rotation. I don't even know. I, I could put it up, but like, I don't think anybody, it's like putting up Sanskrit. Um, but, but how worried are you about Trump? potentially calling on his followers and inciting further violence? Well, we've already seen not only Higgins, but also uh, Biggs engaging in sort of, uh, you know, very questionable um, rhetoric. I am concerned. I mean, uh, the former president has really shown on January 6th he will stop at nothing, um, including violence. So that is a big concern. And as Adam has pointed out, so many of my colleagues on the Republican side of the aisle, his former colleagues, are willing to support uh, this kind of behavior, just as they did uh, supporting January 6th and the overturning of the election. So I think there's reason for all of us who want to defend our democracy to have some concerns here about what the fringes might do and might be incented to do by some political figures. Yeah, I, I hope it doesn't happen. Uh, I hope those concerns are misplaced, but I hear you. Democratic Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren of California, former Republican Congressman, Congressman Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, thank you so much. Speaker McCarthy has a strong opinion about Trump's indictment. We're going to compare his comments today to what he said about the FBI's investigation into classified material and a different public figure. That's ahead. In a historic first, a former president of the United States and a current presidential candidate on top of that announced his own federal indictment. Joining us now for their take on this monumental day in the history of this great republic, former Watergate special prosecutor Richard Benveniste and legendary Watergate journalist uh, Bob Woodward. Uh, Bob, uh, you have interviewed the former president extensively. In 2019, he told you about a nuclear weapons system where he claimed this. Let's take a, a listen from your sure. interview. I have built a weapon system that nobody's ever had in this country before. We have stuff that you haven't even seen or heard about. We have stuff that Putin and she have never heard about before. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's nuts in itself, but now we know he's been charged with, with uh, retaining these classified uh, documents about U.S. nuclear capabilities. Uh, and who knows got, who got access to them? Who knows who he told about them. So this must not actually be surprising to you. 
No, no. This, this indictment is, is, and the circumstances are a total reflection of his personality. Uh, I, I really think he believes democracy is enemy territory because it's about other people. And he likes everything to be about him. And uh, I, I think one of the offshoots of, of this is this is a test uh, and a grave crisis for the Republican Party. Yeah. How is the Republican Party going to deal with this? We all know lots of Republicans. Many are still law and order Republicans. And I think they're going to look at this and they're going to say, wait a minute. And uh, this could begin that snowball going down the mountain because it's so factual, it's so potent. And uh, I, I thought uh, Jack Smith, what he did today when he praised the FBI mm. was so important. So the Republicans are going to have to go back to Barry Goldwater, who 50 years ago went to Nixon and said too many lies, too many crimes. And Nixon asked him in a private Oval Office meeting with the Republican leaders in the House and the Senate, well, I know I'm going to be impeached. Uh, how will I do in a Senate trial? Now he'd need 34 votes to stay in office. And Goldwater looked at him and said, Mr. President, I've counted and you have five votes. And one of them is not mine. Right. And you don't have mine. Yeah, it's such a great story. Uh, Richard, I want to get your take on something historian Doug Brinkley uh, said today. Uh, let's roll that tape. I've always thought Ford was right to heal the country, pardoning Nixon. But in recent years, I realized it was probably a mistake for the reason that it encourages the arrogance of President Trump, uh, this feeling that he's above the law, that the Constitution doesn't matter, that you can have an authoritarian bent and do anything you want in the United States. Do you agree? And I, I think, you know, the long the long view picture of what he's saying is that if actually there had been a trial of Richard Nixon and maybe he had gone to, to prison, as many of his co-conspirators did, yeah. uh, then maybe uh, this wouldn't have happened. Well, at least <clears throat> if the timing was different on the pardon, if uh, President Ford had waited until we uh, brought charges and then Nixon could address the charges either by accepting a pardon or not, at least the charges would be out there and it would be uh, something the public could see. Uh, and I agree that this indictment really is a reflection of the pres former president's arrogance, his disdain for the rule of law, uh, which is so repugnant to people who have worked uh, in law enforcement, who have worked for the Constitution uh, uh, bipartisanly over the years to see this kind of complete disregard for uh, the rule of law by the president in, in treating documents which involve the national security of the United States in this cavalier, offhanded, and totally disrespectful way. I don't see how members of 
his political party can accept this as a leader of the party. So, Bob, you, you were talking about you invoked Goldwater, uh, who obviously had been the party, the Republican Party's nominee for president in 64. So he was the conservative standard bearer going to Nixon, talking to Nixon. And I'm just wondering, I mean, the, the, the modern incarnation of that would be Mitt Romney, very conservative. But Donald Trump doesn't care what Mitt Romney thinks. Is he wouldn't a, let him in. Right. Is there, I mean, and to, to be clear, he should. Mitt Romney's a wise man and very conservative. Is there a, a, a Goldwater of today that, that not just Donald Trump, but Kevin McCarthy would listen to? Well, we're going to have to find him, or the Republican Party is going to have to have a come-to-Jesus meeting with itself and say, what are we missing? Leadership, direction, moral definition, which has to be the center of any political party, if I may say. I think uh, this situation is a test for Biden and the Democrats also. Mm. I think it's really important Biden is staying away from this and so forth. But you uh, go back 50 years, the night Nixon announced he was resigning in the Washington Post newsroom. Ben Bradley, the editor, was running around saying, don't gloat, no gloating, Mm -hmm. essential. And I was with Ben. We were going down to get something to eat at the Washington Post cafeteria, which was not much, (laughs) but uh, it was late at night, and the elevator uh, opened and out stepped a prominent member of the Kennedy family and said, Ben, I came here to celebrate. Mm. And Ben almost tackled him, pushing him back in the elevator and said, no. No celebration, no gloating. And it's very important that the Democrats and those of us in our business not get uh, in any celebration mode. Yeah, 1974, Kennedy in Washington. I think I could figure out who that was. Maybe. It was Sergeant Shriver. It was Sergeant Shriver. I thought it was Senator Kennedy, Senator Ted Kennedy. Um, Do do you agree? And, and, you know, you brought the Watergate case. And do you think the Republican Party of... The 70s was different from the Republican Party today in terms of... For all that we know uh, about Nixon, and there was a lot that he did that was uh, wrong, mean-spirited, and uh, unconstitutional, I believe that if he had survived Watergate, wounded but survived, he was not an existential threat to our democracy. I don't believe the same thing about Donald Trump. And I think this is an important step for people to consider how he regarded our national security in the way he treated these documents. And the next thing to come is January 6th, which was a head-on assault against our democracy. Two investigations coming to a fore on that, including one... From Jack Smith. If I may, but 50 years ago, 
if somebody had said, do you, do you think Richard Nixon is an existential threat to democracy? You would have said yes. No, I would not. You would not have. No, I wouldn't have said an existential threat because we could have That's survived. That's too big a word. We I know. survived. I mean, uh, uh, and I'm using... Democracy, and I'm, not an existential I'm using a big word when it comes to Donald Trump. Okay, fair enough. Yes. Fair enough. Two legends from, uh, of, of, of the era and of today as well. Uh, Richard Benefit and Stan Bob Woodward, thanks so much to, for, for, to, for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank Good you. to see you, sir. I want to play uh, Speaker McCarthy reacting to Trump's indictment today regarding Trump's mishandling, according to the indictment, of classified documents. That this judgment is wrong by this DOJ, that they treated President Trump differently than they treat others, and it didn't have to be this way. This is going to disrupt this nation because it goes to the core of equal justice for all, which is not being seen today, and we are not going to stand for it. This comes just a few years after McCarthy slammed Hillary Clinton for her uh, unsecure email server on which uh, there were also classified documents. McCarthy said in a statement in 2016, quote, the FBI found over 100 emails that contained classified content. Perhaps most notably, the FBI could not rule out the possibility that foreign powers or hostile actors accessed Secretary Clinton's emails. Secretary Clinton's fundamental lack of judgment and wanton disregard for protecting and keeping information confidential raises continued questions about the exposure of our nation's diplomatic and national security secrets Unquote. Let's bring in the other side of my table right here. And, and Dana Bash, I mean, you, I mean, th- this is this is why people hate Washington, honestly, just the completely two completely different standards. News media and law enforcement both took the Hillary Clinton email server situation seriously, um, much to her chagrin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here is a worse situation by all accounts. And you have people defending it. Wouldn't it be nice for everybody to, I know this is going to be about the most Pollyanna thing I'm ever going to say. I'm used to it. But I'm going to say it. For everybody just to take a breath. Mm -hmm. I know this is political. This is, there's no way it can't be political for the million reasons that we know. But wouldn't it be nice, particularly when you're a constitutional, you're, you're in a constitutional position, to just take a breath and just let the process play out and, uh, and not just jump on it. But that's not the political position that McCarthy and other top Republicans are in. It's just not. But remember, John, he's, he's not Speaker of the Republicans in the House. He's not Speaker of the MAGA wing of the House. He's Speaker of the House. Mm-hmm. The Democrats, too. And it's not just what he said. When you watch the video, he has to fight at him, right? He's got the anger in his face. He's leaning forward. Uh, look, there are no guardrails anymore. Richard and Bob were just talking about, you know, Barry Goldwater. That's when the days when the national parties meant something. Uh, where there were giants in public service who were willing to put country over party. Um, Kevin McCarthy wants power, and he needs Trump to stay in power. Um, and he won't even say, wow, you know, I think Donald Trump's innocent, but let's let this play out. He won't even say something like that. He attacks it before he's deeply read it. Has he had a briefing from anybody? Has he watched the evidence play out? Uh, the, the, they've already decided. There's no open mind anymore. There's no think about it. There's no thoughtfulness. And there are no structures to the point of who would go to Donald Trump. There is nobody. That is a pipe dream. Right. I remember when, when Bill Clinton was first in trouble, and it didn't happen, but the Vernon Jordans and the you know, Bob Strausses, the big voices in the Democratic Party, came to talk to Bill Clinton. Do you think you should resign? Do you want to put the country through this impeachment? At least Bill Clinton said no, and he was always going to say no, but at least there were people of stature then that would, you would have a conversation. There is nobody that can get in the room with Donald Trump and say, think about your country. Because, A, that person doesn't exist, and B, as Bob has detailed in his books and those recordings, 
He doesn't care. Doesn't care. And as I'm listening to the conversation, the really fascinating conversation you just had, it really strikes me that it is true that in some ways the the lesson of the Nixon administration for many Republicans, and I think Trump is one of them, was that it was a mistake to resign. It is a mistake to back down. It is a mistake to capitulate to these types of things. And uh, I think we are living with that part of the Republican Party really coming into power in uh, through Donald Trump himself. That's what he, the reason Speaker McCarthy is saying what he's saying is because he knows that's the expectation from Trump, and Trump remains the most powerful figure in the Republican Party. It's the expectation from Trump, but it's the expectation of from Trump voters and Trump loyalists who make up so many of the really red districts that he needs. Uh, never mind the you know the very few swing districts that exist mm-hmm. that give him that slim, slim, slim well, majority. Well, if, if McCarthy didn't do that, right? Yeah. Or even if he kept silent. Right. I think that he would be removed as speaker, don't you? I mean, like, there is a self-preservation. You don't. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 he's in he's in trouble for for the for the for the debt ceiling. No matter what he does, potentially he would be in trouble. But imagine a world where he just tried it. Well, he wouldn't see be what speaker if it were not for Trump. He would not That's be right. speaker today if it were not for Trump <laughs> making phone calls on the day of that last vote to get those last votes in for him. The, the Republican base definitely supports the sort of Trumpism of this, about 30 percent of them, maybe even more, actually. But tr- this is where leadership matters. If Trump would say, I, wh- I'm wrong, I need to step away, this, the story would be over. But he will never say that. Right. And so the base will follow his lead. And this is why the House reaction is so different from the Senate reaction. These House Republicans, 85 percent of them or more, live in safe districts where their only threat is a primary from right. the right. How do you get primary from the right? You aggravate Trump. Plus, the difference between the Watergate days and now is the fracturing of our business, the fracturing and polarization of our politics. They have a media eco chamber and almost a parallel universe in which they believe things that are simply not oh. true, like rigged elections, and they will not bend from yeah. that. I mean, Nick, Nixon. Nixon. Speak from the other side of the table yeah. here. Uh, so, what's the question? I mean, take a breath is really good advice emotionally, but politically. The, qu- the question that should be asked, what's in the national interest? What's in the national interest? I mean, isn't that the question? Should be. And should be. when Gerald, I'm convinced, when Gerald Ford pardoned uh, Nixon, it was because he got to him. I spent hours talking to Ford about this. Ford realized he no longer, as president, had to operate in his political interest. But he was president of the United States, and he had to say and think, what's in the national national interest? interest. And he found that by getting Nixon off the front page into the history books and and got his tapes and did a public service in the national national interest. interest. It's a lovely thought. Thanks, one and all. Appreciate (laughs) it. Coming up, how classified documents are supposed to be handled. Here from a former... Deputy Director of Intelligence who once briefed Trump when Trump was in office. Stay with us. Our coverage continues with Wolf Blitzer and Aaron Burnett in the Situation Room right now.
We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.